at the cross. Father, we are here because of the cross. Lord, and we look to You, our Redeemer. We look to glory to see Your face. And Lord, we pray that You would shine upon us this morning through our singing, through the worship, Lord, through the words. Lord, we know that all things come to the foot of the cross. All of who we are, Lord, the sacrifice that Your Son made for us. May we ever rejoice. May we ever be grateful. May we ever give thanksgiving for You and what You've done. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please please be seated. Uh, for those of you who uh, have not heard my story, I can, I can summarize it in, uh, uh, very briefly. I was a, uh, a feral child in a hostile environment. You know, I, I, all the way through school, I only attended the same school twice in a row, and I didn't even go there the whole time. We, you know, moved in and out and, and back and forth. Several, several of our moves were in the dead of night. Those are fun, I can, I can tell you. And so I dropped out of school at the end of junior high, never stepped foot in a high school as a student. And I joined the Army as soon as I could. And then two years into the Army, the Lord saved me and, uh, and changed my life forever. That my life up to my salvation was like, it was like wandering in a, in a vast unmarked wilderness. Uh, I didn't know which way to go, but then Christ took hold of my life. And in that unmarked wilderness, suddenly there was a landmark upon which my life could revolve, upon which it could turn. A landmark that would never fade. A 360 degree landmark. Like a, like a lighthouse that guides ships safely to shore. So a few years after I became a, a Christian, I began to ponder how my, my childhood was impacting uh, my present uh, life. And uh, now I could look at it differently. I had new strengths. I had a new perspective. I had the Spirit of God. Uh, I had Christ. I had a new way of being. And my childhood memories, though, uh, at, uh, at that time especially, they were very disjointed, they were fragmented, they were out of time, uh, chronologically speaking. And I had very few physical or, or mental landmarks uh, on which to hang my memories. It was like, you know, being in an open sea without sun or stars or land in sight. Landmarks are the things that keep us from becoming lost. They keep our boundaries clear. Landmarks orient us to where we are. They're something that's recognizable. They, they draw attention. They allow you to feel that all is right with the world. 
1997, just after I came in the Air Force, there was a historic chapel that was scheduled to be uh, demolished at the uh, Gunter Annex, which is part of Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. And of course, the chapel had been going through this discussion for a, a number of years, actually. And so they finally decided it was time to to close it and and then demolish it for and use it for other other that land for other purposes and so it went all the way up uh, to Washington and back down and yay verily it was okay and what happened though was when it was actually shut down the community uh, the the hue and cry was from Dan to Beersheba people who never darkened the door of the chapel a day in their life. So the Air Force was trying to figure out what in the world is this all about? What, what is going on here? How could something that people do not attend, do not associate with, can become out of proportion emotional so that it goes all the way up to D.C. and then back? And so we uh, enlisted a psychologist. And one of the things he said was this, familiar landmarks allow the person to feel that all is as it should be when places or or people have known for a long time, especially those that are representative of the holy, representative of God, that when they're torn down or they're lost, it's like part of themselves are being uh, taken away as well. As many of you know, I, uh, I mean, it was just a landmark for them. They would drive by it, and as long as they saw it, it was all was well. And it even had, uh, it even had bells, so it would bring these chimes out. As long as the bells ring, everyone knew that all was, was well. It was a landmark for them. Maybe you know, I lived in this area. Uh, for a few years, a uh, number of years growing up, most of my younger years were here, uh, Sugarland, Pearland, Houston, and I also lived in uh, Dallas. So uh, when Barb and I arrived at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, the, the, the first thing that I saw that really registered with me was the, the, the red Pegasus up on the Magnolia building. Now that building was once the tallest building in Texas. I'm not even sure it's there anymore, but it certainly wouldn't be the tallest. But I remember, I remember that, and it, it was an anchor. It was, it was something that allowed a couple of my childhood memories to, to come back that were associated with that. And then Barbara and the girls and I, went, we went down, came down here to Houston to see, hey, maybe we can find some more landmarks. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Until I was on Old Spanish Trail, and and uh, and there it was, the Old Spanish Trail Theater. Now that old theater was some place that I went to many, many times, and uh, in about 1964 it become renamed, and I don't know when, but at some point it was boarded up and closed down. And this was back in '81 or '82. We went we went by there. So imagine when I got back here, you know, 30 plus years later. And I go down there, and sure enough, it's still there. Still there, still boarded up, still pretty well useless. But you know what? It's a landmark for me. And while Barb was away, 
I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see if I can go and get in the right mental space and find uh, where my house was. And so I went there and I, I, I was looking at the theater and I, I saw myself walking up to the thing and buying the tickets, you know, and I saw the Three Stooges there. I saw the Raven there, the 1963 version of that. I don't know what any others would, would, would look like. And, uh, and so much more, it was a landmark. So then I just said, okay, just follow yourself. Where are you going? And so I was in a, in a car. I wasn't, wasn't going to walk there, but I just went and I said, turn here, turn here, turn here, turn here. And sure enough, there I was at our, the house where we lived. Of course, the house wasn't there. It had been torn down. But I knew exactly where I was at. And then I said, wait. I bet I can find the park that I played in. So I turn here, turn here, turn here, turn here. And there I was at Yellowstone Park, the way I used to walk it when I was a kid. And I said, oh, I can figure out where I lived before that. So I went down, turn here, turn here, and then I, I lost everything. There was nothing, nothing, nothing. And I said, oh, no, turn here. And so I did. And sure enough, there was the slab torn down now, the apartment building that we lived in. And I, that was an amazing thing because that one landmark led me to other landmarks, other places where I could orient something about my life that occurred over 50 years earlier. I was no longer lost, at least not in that neighborhood. Have you, uh, have you ever felt lost or disoriented because you didn't, couldn't find any landmarks in your life? Has there been a time in your life when you lost sight of, and some people actually tear them down. They remove them. They say, these are no longer landmarks in my life. Landmarks that help you on your journey in life. They're not all physical landmarks. There are other kind of spiritual landmarks that God has given to us. But when we decide to move them, or rearrange them, or even remove them, it only leads to confusion, unsettledness, a sense of, of lostness, a sense of I don't belong here. Chester Harding painted a lot of legendary uh, faces. He was a portrait artist. He, he painted uh, James Madison and Chief Justice Marshall and even a, a guy that I don't like to this day. Why I don't like him, I don't know. I never met him. But Tecumseh Sherman never liked him. He burned Atlanta. And I lived in Atlanta, so in Atlanta we don't, we don't like him. But he had a good look, you know. He made a good portrait. Anyway, he was working on Daniel Boone's portrait. And, uh, and he asked him if he'd ever been lost. And Boone said, no, no, I can't say that I was ever, ever lost. But I was, I was mightily bewildered once for about three days. <laughs> I mean, we can be, as believers, we can be like Daniel Boone. We can be saved, we can be covered by God's grace, but we can be mightily bewildered sometimes by circumstances, by pain, by tribulation, by the things that come to us in this life. And when that happens, we need to look to the Scripture. I'd like for you to look with me in Proverbs we're going to look at two verses today, three actually, but two chapters. Proverbs 22, verse 28, and then also Proverbs 23, verses 10 and 11. And when we're feeling 
lost, one can understand that this is telling us to look to the ancient landmarks. We also find that that's the source of our salvation and the pathway for our feet. So let's read those, those passages. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Do not remove the ancient landmark. This is in, uh, now over in chapter 23 and 10 and 11. Do not remove the ancient landmark. Do not enter the fields of the fatherless for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Now you understand the ancient land of Canaan when they came into the land, it was divided up by, by Israel. And there were guidelines see that each family and each tribe received an allotted amount of land. And they kept very careful genealogies to see that this land would always remain in the, the family. And so, because uh, during Jubilee, they were all supposed to go back, and no matter what had happened to that land in that 50, intervening 50 years, they would go back to that land. And so the markers had to be fairly permanent. And so they were generally made of stone, or even, or even better, they were natural formations in the rock, or there were rivers and creeks and so forth. And they, they had those... Uh, made out of stone and natural formation because they were sturdy. They would endure the, the test of time. And the families had to have them in order to know where their flocks would graze or where they would plant their crops and where they would build their buildings and so forth and so on. I mean, today, you know, we have any surveyors? Anybody done that work? Anyway, we have surveyors today. You'll see them out in the street. Sometimes they got the tripod and the little thing and their laser beam and stuff. And that, you know, comes with a, a survey uh, affidavit of uh, uh, legal status, okay, along with the deed and so forth. And uh, then as today, it, nothing has changed in the sense that there was a danger in moving them. Solomon, in fact, tells us in those two places there's a host of Scripture. You'd be surprised. Look it up sometime to see about the warnings against moving Landmarks. Uh, Deuteronomy 27:17 for one says this: "Cursed is the one who moves his late neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. The reason? I'll tell you. Landmarks keep things stable. They keep things secure, and they keep things correct. The way." that it should be. It helps people identify what is theirs as opposed to what is someone else's. And some did remove or, or, or move landmarks. And the Bible is universally condemning of that behavior. Job 24.2 says, Some remove landmarks. They seize flocks violently and feed on them. Hosea 5.10 says, The princes of Judah are like those who will remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. The old These were all marked by these landmarks, you see, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. 
But you know what they said? They said, we will not walk within it. We're not going to stay in the boundaries, Lord, that you have established. We're going to determine what our boundaries are because you made us free. We're free. So we're going to go the way that we want. The warning from God is to continue in the ways that He's established. Now, in our text, God had Solomon repeat the, almost the exact same statement. And he, he did this because it is, in fact, important. Uh, there are a few clues in the words here for us that I want to tease out of the text. The first is this word, ancient. Some of your versions may say, old. And uh, it's a fascinating word. If you know any Hebrew at all, it might surprise you because this is one of the more common Hebrew words that's out there. It's olam. And uh, it can be translated as old, but literally, and then I'll get to how we understand it, the literal translation means the vanishing point. It's the vanishing point. An easy way to visualize what a vanishing point is, if you've ever stood on railroad tracks and you've looked down the tracks, the point where the parallel tracks seem to come together, that's what's called the vanishing point. And the way the Hebrews understood this was that the vanishing point was not old or ancient. The word means eternal. In Genesis 9.16, the Lord said, when the bow is in the clouds, that is the rainbow, I will remember the... Olam covenant, the everlasting covenant. It's not just that it's old or that it's ancient. It extends also into the future. Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then we see about that land in Genesis 13, 15. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring, Olam, forever. And by the way, Ezekiel and a whole host of other passages tells us that Israel in the future will once again have these lands that were promised to them. It's impossible to avoid the implication that the land was not a metaphor for some spiritual place. It was actually a literal bit of land. Otherwise, Abraham would have never left Ur. He would never have gone to Canaan if God was talking about something that was purely spiritual. He was not. He was talking about something about the land. And it's interesting because there are perfectly good Hebrew words for old. Just like in Greek. There are perfectly good words for old. That's not the word that he used. So some boundaries, and here's my point, some boundaries have eternal aspects to them. And those are the things that we're primarily concerned about. Second, this term landmark is an interesting uh, term as well. It means a twisted cord. So what they would do is, in order to keep a, a cord that they measured with from stretching, Right, it was all it was all twisted together so that it would have this reduced stretch, and so that they could accurately measure. And once the land was measured to wherever it was measured to, that became a mark. It designated the boundary. It's any mark or, or fixed place. It's it, it's stone, a, a ditch, 
um, a tree. One of my hobbies is genealogy. And so I have a lot of my ancestors' wills. And they're sometimes fun to read, especially when when they define the boundaries. They say, you know, like go down Miller's Creek to the big rock and then head over to the great oak and then go back to the pond, you know, stuff like that. And that's how they would write what their, uh, what their land was. And that would never do for us today, but it certainly worked fine back then. But the purpose of the landmark was to preserve and to protect. It was to keep people from causing harm with one another. Can you imagine? This is mine. No, this is mine. And, and it, it just becomes awful as people fight over different things. But God said, you know, God even set a landmark with Adam and Eve to keep them out of the garden. Set a guard there as well. There are those who have always, from time beginning, I'm not just hitting our time today, although it seems evident to us, who want to change the landmarks that God has set up. They attack the ancient landmarks as irrelevant, outdated, unnecessary. And we're in a struggle to maintain them. I mean, we can't even maintain uh, our statues that are designating history. There's been so filled with emotional content that they're just all these things must go. And for the past 150 years or so, it's been happening in the theological world where the landmarks have been moving and being destroyed, not just for our families or our nation, but in our churches. We have to get back to the landmarks of biblical understanding. And without that, we cannot find the other landmarks that are important and we will lose our way. Even politically, Henry Wilson, he was uh, Grant's vice president in 1866. He said this, Remember ever and always what was going on in 1866, right? The war had just ended and we were going into reconstruction. So this was his counsel here. Remember ever and always that our country was founded not by the best of all the European nations, but by the stern old Puritans who turned the deck of the Mayflower into an altar of the living God and whose first act upon touching the soil of the new world was to offer thanksgiving on bended knee to Almighty God. Wow, have we strayed from that charter. John Adams, the second president of the U.S. United States, said in this address, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion, avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry. Fascinating. Would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In the church, if, I mean, if it's, if, it's, if it's been drifting away in society at large, it's been drifting away in the church as well. And we have to get back to the message of the Gospel. Why? Because... That is the only thing that changes people's lives. 
When we die, we will not die rich or poor. We will die lost or saved. We will not die famous or infamous. We will be lost or saved. We will not go and take the things with us that we love so much. We will go with or without salvation. It is the central core issue. And Jesus in Luke twenty seventeen and 18 is in fact described as a landmark. Then He looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Peter says in Acts, This is the stone which was rejected by your builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the ancient. Let me modify that. Use the Hebrew word. He is the eternal landmark. Without Him, we have no guidance, no purpose, no hope. People today, I mean, even people in the churches are trying to move those landmarks. Get it out of the way. Move it. Remove it. John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, and people, and this is what's happening all around, they, they, they try to explain away the virgin birth. And what they're really saying is that Jesus was just a guy. He was just a man like you or me. Yet the Bible lets us know that Jesus was man 100%, but He was also God 100%. He was the Son of Man and the Son of God. The only way that that can happen is, as we're told, Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. How stupid the world says. I mean, they made movies about this. They wrote books. People are driving, uh, flying private jets because they said, no, 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 no. Jesus was the son of Mary and some Roman soldier. And then later on, Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene or whoever. And they're, they're flying around in jets because of that. They say it's nonsense. You know why they say it's nonsense? Say it's nonsense because a virgin cannot deliver a child. And God with us? Emmanuel, God with us? God cannot be with us because there's no way that God and man can be in one person. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. Yet for us, those who believe with God, all things are possible. Read Mary's response sometime before the as we enter into the Christmas season. So they deny His divinity. Then there's the cross. You mean to tell me that a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago has anything to do with me today? (laughs) You're kidding, right? That's a joke, right? 
sounds foolish. Yet 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness. So if what I just said sounds foolish to you, I think it's time to have a serious encounter with Jesus Christ. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christ has nailed our sin to the cross. As the old song says, I bear it no more. Colossians 2.14 says this, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When Christ went to the cross, He took it upon Himself. He took the sin of the world as the perfect sacrifice. And it's only through accepting that sacrifice that we can be saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There was the physical anguish on the cross. No one could ever deny that. And for us, that would be the most anguish that we could ever experience. But that wasn't, that wasn't the pinnacle of anguish for Christ. It was Him bearing our sin Can you imagine what it would take? What did it take for Christ to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have your child say that to you. You say that to somebody. What kind of emotion would drive that? It was Him bearing our sins. By suffering the penalty for sin, He conquered death. He annihilated it. So what is happening today in the churches? Again, I'm not talking about First Colony. Like-minded churches are becoming smaller in number these days. So what's happening to the mainline denominations? I'm not even going to go to today. I'm not even going to go to today. I'm going to go all the way back to 1961. The pollsters surveyed a cross-representation of seminaries who were preparing men for ministry. Here are the results. This is 1961. Of the ministers in training, 56% did not believe in the virgin birth. Let me assure you, I believe in the virgin birth. 71% Reject the notion of life after death. These are the ministers. These are the people in the pulpit. 54% reject the bodily resurrection. 98% reject the personal return of Jesus Christ to the earth. We may go to Him, those that believe, but He's not coming back to us. Remove not the ancient landmarks. Finally, uh, landmarks aren't only physical or philosophical or doctrinal. They're people. Landmark people are 
are people that you love and that you respect because of their faithfulness and their loyalty to Christ. They are people who have one hand in, in heaven and one hand on earth reaching across to their fellow man. They don't have both hands in heaven. They're not no earthly good. They don't have both hands on earth where they don't have a clue about what's going on in glory. No, they're grounded in Christ with an eye always on the future glory of God, but with their hands helping those around them. They are stakes driven in the ground that will not be moved. They're inspirational to those around them simply because of their life. They they draw no attention to themselves, but they nevertheless capture our minds and thoughts of who we are and who we could be in Christ. They do not waver. They do not change. They're like the old Spanish trail theater. Who, when you've lost your way, you find it, guess what? It orients you to other things. It orients you to the pathways, the old pathways that you can follow. And the truth is, when we're bewildered in life, most of us don't look for physical landmarks, not in the sense of physical being non-living. The great doctrines, they do bring comfort. I'm not saying anything about that. But the truth is, is that when we're truly hurting, We turn to other people. We turn to people who have an incarnational ministry, who we see Christ in them as they they bring comfort to us. Christ beams through their life. I mean, I, I think of people in my own life, like Myron Richardson, who led me to Christ. I think of of Barb, whose love of discovery and joy of creativity keeps me from becoming cynical or stale. When I think of First Colony Bible Chapel, among others, I think of Dick and Barbara. And Dick was the first person I met from this assembly. And Barbara, the most endearing. Landmark people. People of faith people of compassion, people to whom we turn when life is bewildering. But let us not strive to become landmark people. If you strive to do that, it never will happen. Let us strive to know Jesus. Let us strive to follow Christ. And in that, we will become a landmark in another another's life, it'll simply ensue. When we're dismayed and confused and bewildered by the stuff of life, look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to the time when you met Him and He claimed your soul. Do not forget, there's a lighthouse on the hillside that overlooks life's sea. When I am caught, it sends out a light, a light that I might see. I, I have a light that shines in darkness now and will safely lead me o'er. And I know if it wasn't for the lighthouse, 
I know my ship would sail no more. Now everybody who lives around us says, tear that lighthouse down. They say, we all know the big ships don't sail this way anymore. There's no use in that old thing standing around. But then my mind, it goes back to that stormy night when just in time I saw the light. You know it was the light from that old lighthouse and it stands up there on a hill. I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my life to Him. Jesus is the lighthouse that saves from the rocks of sin. He has showed His light around me that I could clearly see. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be? Father, we're so grateful for who You you are, what You have done in our lives. Lord, You gave us all things good. Lord, you, you've, you've given us markers. Father, if we stray, if we stray from Your Son, Jesus Christ, all the other markers will begin to fade into a nondescript, barren landscape. But if we turn, if we turn to Your Son, if we see the cross, then everything else will begin to make sense. We'll find our way because You are the Redeemer. You are the One who brings salvation. You are the One who brings life. Father, if any are bewildered this morning, May the person that they turn to to seek comfort simply point them to the cross with their life and their words and their love and their care. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.